All right, take your Bibles with me to John chapter 7. Continue our verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John. I love the sound of Bible pages turning. John 7. We're going to be in verses 40 through 44. It's just amazing how each service is so different. (laughs) And um, just, I think it's another testament to the, the fact that the Word of God is alive. And when the Spirit of God is moving in a place, you know, he's going to emphasize things that he doesn't in other services. And um, so I just want to encourage you guys, if you listen to nine, if you can, I don't know if we'll go down the same rabbit trails or <laughs> whatnot, but looking forward to what God has for us in this hour. If you're there in your Bible, say amen. amen. All right, I'll start reading verse number 40. Therefore, many from the crowd, when they heard this saying, said, truly, this is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, will the Christ come out of Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the seed of David and from the town of Bethlehem where David was? So there was a division among the people because of him. Now some of them wanted to take him, but no one laid hands on him. We pick it up right at the end of the feast. And just prior, we learned, of course, last week, Jesus had made this invitation in the crowd there to all who would come to him, to all who were thirsty. And, of course, this was symbolic. And, of course, uh, it tied into the, the ritual that was taking place. We learned, of course, that at this time they were going Uh, to the altar with a jar full of water, a golden jar from the pool of Siloam. And they were pouring this out as a sacrifice, a water sacrifice. And the ritual uh, was intended to uh, have, of course, God see that and and bless them with rainfall, which, of course, was very vital in in that day. And, of course, Jesus, his timing always was perfect and He stood up in the midst of this ceremony and he says, all who are thirsty, let them come unto me and drink. He he puts out the the call to salvation to the crowd there and the promise of his spirit that will fill the life of a believer. And he describes it as that of a river that will flow from the heart of that person with living water. And so Jesus, of course, is uh, using this illustration at this time. Because what were a few jars of water from a body of water there compared to the rivers of living water of the Holy Spirit that he would give? It was no comparison. Religion never meets what relationship with Jesus could bring. And this is what he was offering to the entire group found that day. Now, Anytime the truth of the gospel is shared and declared in power, there are different groups of listeners present. And this is no different here. We're going to look this morning at the three groups that were found on that day that Jesus stood and shared the message of salvation. And I I would say that it is fitting and it is similar to this very moment that there are people who are, we're going to see, who are in each one of these groups today. And I'm thankful this morning 
that the gospel can stand scrutiny, it can stand inspection, it can stand uh, men and their questions. And, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm so thankful that the truth can be spoken and that God will, of course, let it fall where it may. And uh, this is what took place here in these verses we're going to study this morning. I want you to notice with me the first group that were present that day. And it was those who heeded or those who heard and received the message that Jesus had given. Look what the Bible says in verse 41 again. Once again, it says, Therefore, of course we know it's referencing the verses prior. Therefore, many in the crowd, many, the Bible says many in the crowd, when they heard this saying, they said, Truly, this is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. There are those, after hearing Jesus' words, after hearing his invitation, they believed. They believed. And I, I was thinking about that this week. You see, Jesus spoke with authority. He spoke not like the other teachers of that day. He didn't reference other, other scholars. You see, he was the living word, the logos before them. He was God incarnate before him, them. And so when he spoke the word, it was with absolute clarity and authority. And I believe today what's lacking today in many churches and in many lives of, of those who call themselves Christian is we do not live like this book here is the authoritative word of God. And we don't share it in such a manner either. I want to ask you this morning, what governs your life? Is it this book? Where do you get direction? What lights your path? What, what is it that you, you base your, you build your house on? Uh, and, and I'm telling you, uh, Jesus, when he spoke, he spoke with authority. And those who heard him, they said, never a man spake like this man. And there were some in the crowd, I believe, because of the, the sheer authority and power behind his words, they believe. But I believe there are others in the crowd who were thirsty. They, they had experienced the emptiness of rituals and religion. They had maybe even climbed the, 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 the ladders of that day, not the corporate ones that we would know of today, but they, they climbed the, the prestige. There were those who would have went and tried to find uh, satisfaction in wealth and all the other things the world tries to offer, and they still came out thirsty, as we talked about much last week, and they realized Jesus, uh, what he was saying was, it just really hit home that they were thirsty and they really wanted to be satisfied. And I'm telling you, every human you see, we are all made to worship. We all have this innate uh, awareness of God and, and it's only fulfilled in God. And, and this were some that believed that day. They heard his illustration and they believed. And I want to know this morning, and I, I believe that there are maybe some in this room today, you've come in here thirsty. Maybe you stumbled upon this church online or on the radio and you've come in here today and, and you're searching for something. But I want to tell you, you're really searching for someone. It's Jesus. And he is more than enough. I want to tell you. I was reminded of this this week. How Jesus is enough. How when you are on the mountaintop or you're in the valley low, Jesus is enough. He can fulfill you. He will sustain you in the trials that will come. He will give you joy in the, in the night. Uh, I'm telling you, he is all that you will ever need. And this is what Jesus declared before them. Now, the Jews of that day, they, uh, they were very, of course, stiff-necked and hard-headed. But I'm telling you, 
the word that came from Jesus, the word of God, the power of the word of God, it is like a hammer. It is like a fire. And I believe it cut to the heart for those in the crowd. And so there were those who believed. And I want you to know it's only through the word of God is faith born. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. This is why it's so important that we know the word of God and that we speak the word of God. When people come to us for advice that we should give them the word of God, I'm telling you the word of God is what we uh, should always have in the front of our consciousness, the word of God. Jesus spoke it and there were those who were saved. I want you to know just a, a just casual study of the New Testament you will see that the heart God has for the world is for the world to be saved. He's not some vengeance bent on destroying the world type of God. He is a loving Father, and He is a gracious God. Oh, don't get me wrong, He's holy, and there will come the time for judgment. But I'm telling you, His heart is for reconciliation rather than judgment. He wants the world to repent rather than to perish. And this is what Jesus was, of course, uh, He was trying to do in that crowd was to see some come to faith. As I studied in 1 Timothy this week, I was reminded of this verse. It says, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men to be saved. Listen to that. Who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man. It's the man, Christ Jesus. There's not a person that you're going to come in contact with who Jesus does not want to save. There's not a person that you will ever cross their path who God doesn't love. And I'm telling you, we've got to let that get into the fabric of our lives. We've got to stop seeing people through the eyes of a worldly perspective. We've got to have eternity before us. Oh, Paul talked about it to the church at Ephesus. He says, in whom you trusted. After that, you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. When Paul went around on the missionary journeys that God led him on, he knew one message, he said. He said, there's one thing that I preach. I, I know and I live and I, I propagate the gospel. See, it is the power of God unto salvation. When they heard the truth, they believed. We have a message worth, worth sharing. When was the last time that even on your social media you put the gospel there? I was thinking that for myself. I, I don't post a lot. My wife is more active on social media. But God convicted me of that. I need to do that more often, to put the gospel out there. Use these platforms to get the good news out. Not, you know, what you ate for dinner last night all the time. (laughs) That's not going to change anyone's life. So I want you to see there are those in the crowd who heard the message and received Jesus. And I don't know, maybe there's someone in here today who you don't know Christ. Well, I my prayer as I prepared this was that you would hear the good news this morning. It's only good news because I have to share with you the bad news. The bad news is that we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. On our best day, on our, in our best outfit, on our best behavior, we fall short. Our righteousnesses, the Bible says, it's that filthy rags in the, in the eyes of a holy God. I was with my cousin this week. He took us out to eat, and um, he was talking to me saying that he was a, a man who was 
had principle and it was about justice. And he said, yeah, I just, I just believe that when I stand before God, I am willing to take whatever judgment that he delves out to me. And I said, oh, Bro, I don't think you know what you're saying. <laughs> and I told him, I said, you're looking at a man who's broken all ten of the commandments. He said, Pastor, you kill somebody? No, not literally. But when you think about, when you hate somebody, we know that that's equal in God's eyes. Oh, when you look on a woman in lust, that's, you've already committed adultery with her. When you tell a half-truth, that's a lie. When you, how many lies do you have to tell to be labeled a liar? How many times do you have to be uh, caught stealing to be uh, a thief? And I'm telling you, we all in here, there's no one righteous, no, not one. And one of the privileges of pastoring is you get to walk through, through life and hear people's testimonies. And I'm telling you, often at this altar, I'll see a former Satanist or a ex-con next to a police officer active. And I'm telling you, you see all this. And, and at the foot of the cross, the ground is level. And we all came the same way into this family. It's through the grace of God. Hey, none of us can get on our high horse and look down on anybody in here. And it started from the top down because we are saved because of his grace. None of us were good enough. I explained that to him. Like, you, you, you don't have a leg to stand on, my friend. You need to lean on the grace and mercy of God. You need to go to the mediator. Jesus, it's that simple. I'm thankful that salvation is simple. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Look unto me all the ends of the earth and you will be saved. And I'm telling you, it's that simple. It's a, it's a faith decision. I, I, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin. I believe that he rose from the grave three days later. I believe that he will give me eternal life if I call on him. The moment a person in faith comes to Jesus Christ, they are sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. And they are now no longer condemned to death, eternity separated from God but now they have gone from death to life oh I'm so thankful that when God looks at me he doesn't see uh, my rap sheet but he sees the blood of Jesus applied to my account and I'm telling you this morning we need to be excited about that message to the point that we tell anybody who will listen to us so thankful my faith this morning is in Jesus so oh, I'm sorry some of our Muslim friends, they put their faith in the Quran and Muhammad, but I'm telling you today, I know where he is buried. And even Muhammad, at the end of his life, he was unsure if he had done enough to make it into a heaven. Oh, the Buddhists, they put their faith in the graven image of Buddha. And if they uh, reached nirvana or if they live good enough and there's enough karma on their side, they may be reincarnated as a dog or a, or a cattle or something of that nature. They put their faith in that. Oh, the humanists, they put their faith in their own self. They think that they're the master of their own ship. They think that they're in control. Oh, but they are far wrong. Oh, the religious man, he puts his faith in his works and his religious activities. Oh, but when have you done enough? If that's what you're trusting in this morning, when have you ascended enough on the religious scale? You will never know. Oh, the materialist puts their faith in his money. Oh, I'm telling you, but I've never seen a, 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 a hearse carrying a, or pulling a U-Haul. My friends, you can't take it with you. Your money can't save you, my friends. Oh, the a true life, a spiritual life comes through relationship with one name, Jesus Christ, because there is neither no, no name given over to heaven, no other name, but Jesus' name given among heaven. 
whereby we must be saved. These people heard the words of Jesus and they placed their faith in him. They said he's that prophet they were talking about in Deuteronomy 18. Oh, he's the Christ that God promised from the garden of Genesis that he would crush the head of Satan. I was just over here. The kids are seeing these reptiles today, right? And so I had to sneak over and uh, carry that big albino, uh, whatever it is, big snake. It's about 70 pounds. I'll, I'll put the picture out in a few days, you know. But I was just thinking from the garden when men sinned, when that serpent beguiled Adam and Eve, oh, God had a plan <laughs> before the foundation of the world. He said, oh, from the seed of a woman, you will bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head, Satan. He's going to destroy you. And I want you to understand what the cross was. The cross and, of course, the, the empty grave was the final blow for Satan. His number one tool was sin and death. And when Jesus defeated both on the cross and when he resurrected three days later, oh, that gave us hope. That gave us an eternal hope. Oh, read it, that blessed hope in Jesus that one day we will be with him and we will be like him. I don't know if you came in here discouraged today, but I don't know how any Christian could live in discouragement cons consistently when you look at the fact that you're not on your way to hell this morning. When you die, you will, you will grace the, the, the glorious streets of heaven. Oh, my friends, you need to turn your eyes to Jesus. Look full on his wonderful face. And the things of this life will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That's what we need to do this morning. And every day for that matter, we need to preach the gospel to ourselves. Oh, it's the greatest message. So there are those in the crowd who heard Jesus, really received him. But I want you to notice there, not everyone believed. I want you to see there are those that hindered the message. Look at verse number uh, 41, the second half of it. But some said, will the Christ come out of Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the seed of David? And from the town of Bethlehem, where David was. So there are those who, they were argumentative. They, they did not receive the truth. They did not place their faith in Christ because of ignorance and because they did not have all the facts. And the truth is, if we're all honest, none of us have all the facts. <laughs> That's why it doesn't, the Bible doesn't say you're saved by facts, it's by faith. Right? When I came to Christ, I didn't understand everything about him. And this is why Jesus will say, we'll see in chapter 8, if you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. You, you come to faith when you hear the gospel, the good news, and you believe, you trust him. The Bible says you must be like a little child when you come to him. You must take him at his word and receive him that way. But I'm telling you, then you continue. Then you get uh, to to this, the, the discipleship path of learning about him, knowing him, growing in him. And this is where these people had, they messed up. They got the cart before the horse and they thought they had it all figured out. But they didn't. And they were basing their eternity off of the half-truths that they had come to know. And many today are too comfortable in their error. They know just enough about the truth to be dangerous and they're, I would say in some cases, 
uh, they're too lazy to seek out the truth. Any casual study of the word of God will, will clearly show uh, the truth concerning Jesus Christ, who he was and, and his mission. He did not uh, come incognito. He spoke very boldly like he did uh, on many different occasions here in uh, John 7. He made it clear that he was the way uh, to receive the Holy Spirit. He was the way, the truth, and the life. And these people, because they thought they knew it all, they rejected him. First of all, they, they said, will he come from Galilee? See, they knew Jesus was from Galilee. They, they probably heard his accent. Remember, the Galileans were like those who lived in the countryside and the Jerusalem-type uh, Jews. They were more dignified and more educated. And I found this. A lot of people who get educated, who get book smarts, and who, who have it all figured out, and they're intellectuals, oh, they're some of the hardest to win to Jesus Christ, and because they get too wise. The Bible says knowledge puffs up. And you can't get too small for Jesus, but you can get too big. Think about people like Stephen Hawkins and others who, brilliant minds, but they don't believe. And the Bible is clear that the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. You can, you can ascend to the highest of intellectual and education. You, you could go down the road, you can chase every rabbit hole in trying to get this world's knowledge, but <laughs> you don't have wisdom. You're a fool in God's eye if you don't believe in him. And these people, they, were, they weren't atheists. They, weren't, they were religious. They weren't you know, what we'll see in just a moment, they weren't in opposition to Jesus' message, but they, were, they weren't ready to place their faith in it because of what they believe they know. But they could have asked, they could have looked at the scriptures. In Isaiah chapter 9, it was prophesied that the, out, of the, out of Galilee of the Gentiles, the, the great light would come, and people who sat in darkness would see a great light that was prophecy of Jesus coming. They would have known that Jesus was the fulfillment of that. If they would have just asked Jesus and truthfully wanted to have a, a, a true answer, <laughs> they could have found out that Jesus was in fact born in Bethlehem. We know that, of course, now. Us having the New Testament. Then, the third thing that they said was that he would of course, be from a certain family, okay? Do you remember when God promised his servant David that from his line there would be one who sits on the throne from everlasting? It's called the Davidic covenant. And so a simple you know, interview with Jesus would have answered that. You see, Joseph came from David's line, and so did Mary. They both came from the line of the royal line of David. And so these people were basing their eternity. They're, they were rejecting God before them on facts that were not, were not, uh, were half-truths. They, they, were, they weren't aware of the truth, and they were willing to, to, to dig down deep in there because of pride. They were not willing to hear Jesus and allow what he said uh, to, to be received by them. And I believe many of, the, um, of those who, um, who don't believe today are the same way. They won't admit that they are wrong. They're, they, they're stuck in their ways and pride. And I'm telling you, that type of pride has a price. 
when you reject Jesus, when you consistently deny who he is, and you, or you even to the point where you don't completely deny him, but you are trusting in your works and in, in, in religion and rituals and your baptism, you add to whatever you want to add to Jesus. When you have that and that's what you're depending on, oh, that's a dangerous spot to be in. I'm going to say there's going to be religious people in hell. There's going to be some church people who go to hell. There's going to be some people who know the Bible better than you and I in hell. And that's scary. We've got to ask the tough questions in our lives. Which category are we in? Are we hindering the message? These people were very vocal. They, they were going to dispute with those who were saying that they believed Jesus was the Christ. And these people, they were ready to fight to the end about this. But I want you to see the third group of people this morning. There were those who hated the message. I would say this would be those who were in the category of scorners. I would say those in the previous category, they might be in the category of simple. But these people were scorners. They hated them. They scoffed at this message. They desired to end Jesus. I want you to see verse 44. Well, 43, we'll read that. It says, so there was a division among the people because of him. I want you to say Jesus is the dividing line throughout society, throughout history. The division of the world is really that simple. Those who are believers and those who aren't. It's that simple. And that was the case there in Jesus' day. But I want you to see verse 44. Now, some of them wanted to take him, but no one laid hands on him. There are those who hated Jesus, who wanted him arrested on the spot. Hardcore haters of Jesus, and they hated his message, and, and they wanted to, uh, to shut him down. And I want you to know there's plenty of people like that today who hate the truth and do everything they can to silence those who would speak the truth. I want you to understand the attack that we saw a few years ago in this state on churches. This was not about a pandemic. This was an attack on truth. I'm going to tell you this. Because the enemy, he hates the truth going forth. He hates what I'm doing right now. He hates uh, the gospel going forth, uh, people uh, seeing the light. He is the God of this world who has blinded the minds of those who believe not. So the, when the glorious light of the truth of the gospel goes out, he hates that. So he's going to do whatever he can. He's going to use whatever methods that he can to silence the church. And I'm telling you, we've got to be willing to stand, even though we will be hated, even though we will be maligned, even though we will be called bigots and homophobic and and everything you can name, we're going to be called that. But I, I would not be a good pastor if I did not warn you. I'm telling you because the day you see, you see all this stuff that has divided us. See, the people here were divided too, right? All the things that the enemy has used over the last two years to divide the church and, and divide America, I'm telling you, this is so we cannot see what they're doing over here and what the enemy is planning. And I'm telling you, the church was the last line of defense 
and it always is within the society, the last line of defense is the church, the, the pulpit of America, I'm telling you. And so when there were men and women uh, who, who just sulked in fear over the last couple of years when the churches that stayed closed, I know of a church uh, in town that uh, the word is out that they're, they're almost to a split or elders are leaving over this COVID stuff. And I'm telling you, I can, t- I can name circumstance after circumstance on how the enemy has used to distract us from what we should really be focusing on, and that's getting the gospel out. Because ultimately, he wants to silence us. You want to know why the legislation and, you know, it's, being, it's going to be very soon, it's going to be a hate crime to speak about certain lifestyles. You want to know why? The enemy hates the truth. He wants to silence the truth. He wants to propagate the lies to keep people blinded. And this is what Jesus faced in his day. But I'm telling you, we should not shirk from this. You think Jesus knew that there would be people in the crowd who hated and who were going to try to do their things, but he still spoke the truth. And I'm telling you, we've got to be willing in this day that we're going into to stand to stand for the truth. The church has always been called to be the pillar and the ground of the truth and to stand in defense of the gospel. I've learned this, though. When you let the truth loose, it's like a lion. (laughs) You don't have to defend it. Get it out. God will do the rest. This word is powerful. It's quick and it's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. I've seen the word of God do what we could never do. I've seen it. This is why the attacks, this is why they they go through great lengths to remove it from schools, to remove it from our legal system, to remove the word of God from from every arena, public arena. But you know what we are called to do? To bring it back into every public arena. When you go to work tomorrow, I want to encourage some of you, maybe you should put a Bible verse in your cubicle. Somebody tell you to put it down, say, no, I have the right to put that up. Not, not, not be arrogant, not be, you know, in your face, you know, don't go into work trying to, don't say, my pastor said I could do this and I'm ready to fight you for this. Don't do that. We've got to be willing to fight the good fight because I just have to tell y'all, we're, we are, we're in a battle. This is not peacetime. But we are living like it's peacetime. Ooh. So Jesus, there were those who hated him in the crowd and who wanted to silence him, who if they could, they would have arrested him. But because Jesus had those in the crowd who loved him, he had those who were believing on him, because of the mixed nature of the crowd, these people could not show their true colors. They could not come and grab him publicly because they knew it would cause an uprising. And um, these people would do what they do. And we see, you know, later on in the Gospel of John, they do so secretly. You see, the enemy isn't going to just come out and tell you that these laws and all these things are going on. is to get the church. is to come at Christians. It's to make us enemy number one. He's going to use subtle, and he is wily. He's like, he, he, wily coyote, you know, he tried to put all these traps to catch the roadrunner, and I'm telling you, that's a picture of Satan. He's going to do everything he can to, to under the guise of his, uh, of his deception to try to come at us, and um, this is what they had to do with Jesus, of course. They had to 
get a man on the inside, right? <laughs> the enemy had to fill Judas's heart, right? And then Judas betrayed Jesus. And so they came secretly to get Jesus. And why was the trial so rushed? Because they wanted to get it done before anyone heard of it. Well, I'm telling you, this is, this is what the enemy does. He will do whatever he can in his plans to try to silence us. But we must be bold because there is much at stake. There is much at stake. There are souls in the balance. This week, I just could not shake thinking about the fact that there's a literal hell. And I know I'm like many of you, believe it or not. I, I try sometimes to a fault to not think about negative things. But the truth is, Jesus spoke about heaven and hell often, almost predominantly. And he understood what was at stake like no other man ever before him or after. As I thought about hell this week, it just reminded me that we have a mission. Even though we will be hated, even though we will, there will be opposition, there are those who will try to hinder, we still must go. I was talking to my daughter, Symphony, and she, said, she asked me a question. It was kind of random. She said, Daddy, what's a missionary? And I said, uh, oh, a missionary is somebody who goes to a foreign nation and tells people there about Jesus. Often they learn their language and they live with them, and, but the whole purpose is for them to win people to Jesus. And then her next question kind of convicted me. She said, do we have any missionaries from our church? I said, oh. Not that I know of, honey. And she just kind of pondered that, like her wheels were turning on that. And um, the truth is, we all should be missionaries. I'm going to tell you this. I said it a moment ago. Wherever God has you, that's your mission field. But I truly believe God is calling people to go across the world, even in this congregation. But I think we've been distracted and, dis and deterred by fear, by other things, by comfort. You know, one of the worst things that America, and I'm going to tell you this, that one of the things that have really domesticized Christianity in America, I'm going to say this, is our affluence, is our wealth, is our comfort, is our access to indulgence like no other society prior to us. We have more in this. If you have running water in your house, if you sleep on a bed at night, you're in the top 1% in the world. Did you know that? And because of our comfort, we have become domesticized. When, when I read the Bible, the men and women in the New Testament, they, they took risks. They lived bold lives. And ultimately, we know that every one of the apostles, they were martyred for their faith. Somehow along the line, we have taken the, the road of least resistance. And uh, it has not done well for Christianity in America. People who observe us realize that if they aren't willing to sacrifice for it, if a Christian only goes to, to church once every three weeks, the average Christian gives 2 to 3% of their income towards the, the work of God. Our lives indict us. The world does not believe that we believe. 
And I believe that if we truly understood and we truly in the heart of hearts believe that there was a literal hell where people are dying every day and going there, that it would change the way we live. A few months, a few months back, or I think it was during 2020, we started supporting a missionary to the Middle East and a young lady in her 20s and I had an opportunity to FaceTime her and just before we were going to partner with her and, and ask her about her testimony because here she is in her early 20s, mid-20s, and, but she's leaving America. And she's going to a, a predominantly, we can't say because we, you know, she's, she's, she would be in danger if we said where she was exactly, but <laughs> she's going to a Middle Eastern country, predominantly uh, Islamic country. And um, she began to tell me how that she grew up in a home in America where her parents weren't believers, and she never went to church, not a day in her life. And I think sometimes we think that this is still a Christian nation. I'm going to tell you it's not. The fastest growing religion in America is no religion. Anyhow, she grew up all the way through up to 19 and never heard the gospel. And one day while on YouTube, she clicked on a video where a man shared his testimony. He shared the gospel. And she, that night, she trusted Christ as her Lord and Savior. After a few months of being saved, she was just so moved by the message that the gospel uh, and the need for others to hear it that she decided that it would be her last semester of college, that she was, she was on the road to becoming a doctor and uh, she would drop out of school. She would start serving on the church and training to be a missionary. And that's what she did. And um, right now she's on the mission field. She's living for Christ. When I was on FaceTime with her, she was like, I asked her if there was any needs that she had. She said, well, I've had my phone for a very long time and the screen is broken and there's nowhere, there's, there's, not, there's no apples where I live. I said, hey, we'll, we'll take care of that phone. We'll get you a new phone. And uh, just she was just so thankful. I'm telling you, like, I'm praying. Maybe Symphony. Maybe Abram. Maybe Elijah. Maybe all of them. I don't know, Layla. I, I'm praying maybe God would touch one of their hearts to the point that they'd be willing to sacrifice whatever it is to follow Jesus, to do his will because it's worth it, because there is a hell Jesus, he lived with that in mind. I believe that's one of his, the, the burning passions when he was on earth was that he had come to save people. We got to wake up. I've been talking, I've been writing back and forth with a man in prison in Alabama. He's on death row. been in prison from the time he was 19. He's now in his 40s. And um, he sent me a letter this week. I read it and he began to share more of his testimony. Before he got saved, he was the drug lord of the prison where he was at. He had worked his way up. He was calling all the shots. He was was the high roller in prison. (laughs) And um, 
And then he was given an execution date in 2012, I believe it was. And um, he was still not saved, but for whatever reason, his execution date was removed. And two years after that, he came to know Christ in 2014. And he said, since then, my life has not been the same. He is now the pastor of the, the church in that prison. He went from the drug dealer to now he's the, the, the preacher of the prison. He found this ministry when in 2020, they gave each of the prisoners tablets, and uh, he found West Side, and he's, he's been listening to the messages and been encouraged, and he's sharing them with people in there, other men. And uh, he, tell, he told me that he, they started a business recently, a uh, laundry business. They do laundry for the other <laughs> inmates, and I don't know how they're paid. Maybe, you know, they put money on their books. I don't know how it works, but they do this service. They wash their clothes in the sale. And um, but they're doing Bible study and discipleship throughout the week, and just God is using him, and, and he's winning those men in there to Christ. I told the earlier, earlier service, that man is more free than some of you in here. And I'm going to tell you why. Because he realizes what really matters. And that's to tell other sinners about the Savior. I realize every week I'm here, I'm a dying man preaching to dying men. I realize that this crowd won't even be the same next week. I had three conversations with people who are going to lay loved ones to rest this week. And I'm telling you, the urgency isn't there in the church today. The, we have gotten so distracted and deterred. And instead of things having us, or think you having things, things have you. That car has you. That house has you. That job has you. Uh, not Jesus. He isn't the Lord of your life because if he was Lord, you'd be a witness. If he was Lord, you would be willing to go to the mission field. If he was Lord of your life, oh, you would look totally different in how we live. And I'm telling you, we've got to get back to what matters to him. There are those who need to be saved. And God has chosen to use us to spread the good news, good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he will save anyone who comes to him in faith. We're not responsible for the results, but we are responsible to, to share, to witness, to, to be his hands and feet, to be his mouthpiece. There will be those who reject still. We know it. It's sad, but it's reality. I heard about George Wilson in 1830, he was convicted of robbing the U.S. Postal Service, and uh, he was sentenced to be hung. President Andrew Jackson decided to issue Wilson a pardon, but he refused to accept it. The matter went all the way up to the Chief Justice, John Marshall, and who concluded that Wilson would have to be executed he said, a pardon is a slip of paper, wrote Marshall. He said, the value of which is determined by the acceptance of the person to be pardoned. If it is refused, it is no pardon. George Wilson must be hanged. 
And the truth is, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. But for those who believe, those who receive, maybe you're here this morning and you're on the fence. You don't know if you believe this. You don't know if you buy it all. But I want to urge you, are you willing to base your eternity? Are you willing to risk your eternity on maybe a question? And I know some people come to Christ differently. They come after searching, after doing some some study, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I just want to urge you to to come to Jesus, come to his word, come objectively, uh, really seeking the truth. Come humbly and saying, God, if, if you are who you are, uh, reveal yourself to me. And I'm telling you, each time a person humbly does that, I know that God will reveal himself to them. But maybe this morning you're in the position where you hate God. Uh, you, maybe you've gone through pain and suffering and you blame God or whatever it may be. I want you to know this morning it was not God uh, who made that to happen. Oh, he is, of course, the creator. But when sin came into the world, oh, death came by sin and dysfunction and the, uh, and, and under depravity of man. Oh, and God, he does not uh, come in and intervene. He allows, of course, the world to go on and because he wants us to have the ability, the free will to choose him above anything else. I'm telling you, if we were robotic, if he were to intervene in that, then it wouldn't be real. It wouldn't be true love. It would not uh, be a decision for him. And, And this is what we've got to come to grips with. Yes, I don't agree with how everything works out. Yes, even the thought of hell is something that is hard for me to put my brain around. But I'm telling you, I don't allow that or my feelings or my under, not understanding something to t- to not take Jesus at his word for who he is and that he is gracious and that he will save any who come to him. That's it. Which category are you in this morning? Are you one who has heard the gospel, the good news, and has heeded the message, received the message? Are you one who are hindering you're more about debating. You're more about thinking that you know it all and that Christians are just people who have not been enlightened, enlightened or, <laughs> or who are intellectually inferior. Or you're religious and you think that something that you offer is going to appease God. Are you in the category of hating Hating the message, hating Jesus. Well, wherever you are today, I'm telling you, Jesus, he can, he can restore you. He can bring you into the family. If you but humble yourself and come to him, he can save you. We're going to, of course, have a time where we, we worship him more. But this is also a time of invitation where with the truth that was presented this morning, you get to make a decision. For those who do not know Christ, today is the day of salvation. He wants to save you today. And there's no greater thing that you could ever do in this life than to trust Jesus. He will, he will change you. You'll be a new creation. He'll seal you with his spirit. You, you'll have joy where you once 
did not come to Jesus this morning. He loves you. He made a way for you and for me to come. Maybe you're a Christian this morning and you've just been kind of in a, in a funk. You've been kind of on that roller coaster spiritually and maybe today is just for you to go back to the foot of the cross. Remember what he's done for you. Preach the gospel to yourself and allow the truth of who Jesus is to, to, to fill you once again. Maybe you need to seek for that fresh outpouring of his spirit, that anointing to come again. I don't know where you're at. Maybe you once were a witness for him, once were bold for him, <clears throat> and now you're not. Whatever it is that God spoke to you about, you can do business with him in this time of invitation. We love you here. It's no judgment. We just want what God wants for you. He wants to save you.